Welcome everyone, this is Aesthetics Mastery podcast number two. I'm with Leanne Watkins, who's come all the way from Edinburgh, and she is the clinical director of Smooth Dimensions. Uh, welcome, Leanne. Thank you. Um, so, as I've just said in our introduction privately, that um, I'd love to find a way of making at least one small difference in your business, um, and that often starts with some of the psychology that drives you, but it can also be very practical things, so I like to try and touch on um, what is limiting you in terms of taking action. Um, I like to try and find something strategic I can give you, so that you have a, a clearer sense of what to do next. Um, and I, my favourite bit is finding out a little bit about what really drives you, what your kind of underlying drives are, okay. um, because that's often that's often when you discover that yourself, which I might share mine as well. Um, it gives you real a real sense of certainty about why you're doing it, which can help you a lot. But mm-hmm. do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, and what you're finding? Let's start on a positive. I think the last one I started on something negative. Let's start on a positive, which is what, what are you enjoying at the moment in aesthetics? The, f- the feedback from clients, how it makes them feel, um, when, especially when they've had bad experiences with previous practitioners or um, just bad episodes in life and things that I can do for them make them feel so much better. Yeah, I noticed yeah. you've got... Um, 15, I think, really good reviews, all quite long paragraphs with lovely stuff written about you. And uh, for me, that's it's really, it's not about the number of reviews, it's about mm-hmm. what people write, the quality of that stuff. I think lots of mention of professionalism and things like that, which I always love to yeah. see, because you can tell that you're bringing that healthcare profession, professionalism mm-hmm. with you into aesthetics. You don't, you're not kind of leaving it behind. Some people do do that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite an eye-opener, uh, a bit of a dis- road to discovery with nursing versus aesthetics and ethics and with the whole regulations coming in Scotland where I fit in and how I can make things better and change I don't know it's just been a bit difficult (laughs) overwhelming on that side of things okay so a sense of overwhelm maybe we can touch on that because there Mm -hmm. are specific things you can do with overwhelm do you want to give us just a really brief history about when you started and what your journey has been so far um, <coughs> when I started it was I had plans to start and then circumstances in life kind of got in the way so it got put on hold for a little bit and then I just decided what am I waiting for and sort of jumped off the deep end and started to advertise got nothing <laughs> so and then just all of a sudden it picked up and it became word of mouth and now I'm pretty busy um, and I did the extra courses and now I'm just hungry and want to learn more because I think there's so much more I can do um, what else? I don't know so you've, you've, it sounds to me so you, a lot of people have this but you went through the pain barrier of thinking this is never going to work and something clicked how long did it take you from your first course to feeling like I've actually got a business now? Um so I did the course, the first course, August 2016. I would probably say I didn't, my first client was April the 1st, 2017. So yeah, it took me a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that was it. And just so from, from the first client, you were then, you then got another one quite soon after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Who was the first, without saying their name, was it someone you knew or was it? Yes. Um, yeah. And did they refer your next client? Um, 
No. So the, my first client was probably my daughter. Well, because she won't mind me saying. Um, she's 19. So it was from there we talked a lot, a lot about it together, about um, why she wanted the treatment. Um, and also my neighbour. So it kind of actually talk. I spend quite a lot of time with my clients and I think that's what they like. And so I'm now at the stage where I'm trying to measure what people want from a service. And it seems from like customer feedback I've got so far, it's self-esteem. And we talk about aftercare and we talk about um, how someone treats them and makes them feel, even from a phone call, about changing appointments, things like that. But, um, and I've probably digressed a little bit there. Uh-huh. But that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I love that you're you're focusing on the value that, that clients need rather than your price. For me, it's one of the things I talk about the most, which is so often when people, it's basically, I think, until you know your own value, you start mm-hmm. to think, all I can do is make myself cheaper. You've obviously already realized that your value is not your price, it's about all the other things. So you, mm-hmm. you're giving longer appointments, um, you're really thinking about that experience from the booking process all the way through to aftercare. Yeah. That is huge, and what I love about it is you, you do better, but you only do better because your clients are doing better and they feel looked after, they're getting their needs met, and it means your prices can stay, you don't have to try and be the cheapest because you're trying to be, yeah. you're tr- basically trying to be the best rather than the cheapest. Mm-hmm. Um, you may not have to be the most expensive to do that, but you're doing something that's meeting their, their other needs, not just their needs to save a bit of money, yeah. um, which is great because that's mm-hmm. good for the whole industry. And it's good for them and it's good for you um, it's there's always normally i look for three wins it's that kind of elevation of the industry elevation of your clients needs and then your business should do better as well yeah. that's great so um what's your going on from kind of where you're at sounds like you've you've had some success um almost stumbled into it by by, by waiting and then word of mouth has got it to go on how long was it before you you saw your first client or have you seen a client who's not yet part of your social network? Someone who's come in as a stranger? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. Because for I me... I think I've just, I've just over the 200 mark for treatments. Fantastic. Um, so yeah, a lot. And most clients that have come themselves have brought more. That's a huge compliment to you. Like I always think word of mouth is... It's actually the slowest burner, but it's the most mm-hmm. hard fought. Uh, and you only get it, you can be clever at marketing and get people to come for you or spend more on marketing. Mm-hmm. But word of mouth is the most associated with quality. That's great. I think I was like a bit apprehensive to market because of my situation and things. I didn't want it to be too quick. So I was glad for the, the little bit of a slow start. But then all, just all of a sudden it was picked up and it's now getting to the point where managing and um, looking at the business side of things and looking to market and open up and go a little bit further afield. Okay, um, so that might be a good point to then ask you, what, what's your dream? If you were, because there's obviously what you'd like to do next if you mortalize, but what's your, what's your dream if you're brave enough to say what you really, really would like to achieve? Eventually I would like to have my own clinic. Um, I have my brother on board as director as well just now and he is more business minded than I am. So he helps with the financial side of things because we're now a limited company. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been a real learning curve for me uh, because for me, I guess I was looking at the client 
and the treatment and you know notes documentation aftercare and he was very specific in that well when is the when when is your client actually done and finished you know it's not at that point there's more you have to do for the business side of things as well and I was like oh no <laughs> so yeah where's you know your starting point and then your end point for a client is there an end point and it's all yes just is he, is he kind of talking about all the work that you do in order to keep process and a, a client all the way through rather than just yeah. the treatment? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, yeah. I think that's a, that's a good point to think about as well. I think when we first start, and I was guilty of this as well, is that you think about the, I, you know, I nip down the road and I see a client and I'm with them for an hour and I do treatment and then I go home and I've got £300 and it cost me £150 worth of stock and you think you've earned £150. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then you rapidly realise that's true if you only want to see one client a month um, and you never put any marketing in except for your leaflets. But mm-hmm. as soon as you want to scale it, you realise there's a, there's a lot of extra expense in terms of processing that client. I mean, you only yeah. need to look around our building. Apart from the training, we do something very similar and we have a, a ratio of one-to-one administration staff to doctors at the moment. Um, right. And that's just the clinic, not the training school. So you've got to do that as part of your 150 pounds. You've also then, we've got managers as well and they're, they're doing something and we've got building and we've got insurance. We've got, before you, if you don't, if you don't realize that at the beginning, you never get past the beginning. Yeah. So that's great. And I also commend you for going into business with someone who, who fulfills something that you don't have. And I've done exactly the same thing. Um, we're all, you know, if you're clinical, mm-hmm. the, I always think it's probably not the best thing, although it does sometimes work to go into business with another clinical person because then you've got two clinical people who want to see patients and you just divide it, but who's going to answer the phone and book it and do the, do the books yeah. and stuff like that. So that's a good move doing that. We, and it took about a month and a half roughly to make the decision because we know each other very, very well. We know our weaknesses, we know our strengths. Um, and he was confident in my clinical skills and I'm confident of his skills. Um, and then what we did was sat down and he watched a procedure I did with a client. We talked through it, uh, obviously with the client's uh, consent and discussed certain things. And he asked the client about what they expected from this sort of treatment, Mm. the money that they pay for, what what do they expect and what's good. And that's when we started realizing, um, we started questioning the ethics about it all. So, because so many folk tell me their experiences and I feel awkward by them. Mm-hmm. Tell, me, tell me more about what you mean by ethics and what you've seen. And- so, when people say they've gone to someone else and they have a treatment and they give them freebies, but they don't seem to, they just seem to give them, let's say, they're away for their cheeks and they get a freebie of filler in their chin. I said, well, well, how did they come about to give you this freebie? And you know, it's, it's just I just find it really strange. And then, say a young girl goes to get her lips enhanced, and just at the end they pop a bit of Botox and a chocolate. Oh, there's a wee freebie for you. And so I just think, you know, but they didn't ask really, they didn't gain proper consent. But it's not to open up a minefield field of for other practitioners. I just want to maintain you're wrestling it with yourself yeah yeah like i think with my nursing as well it was a massive eye-opener and i 
probably could say I had more examples of how I didn't want to become. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've been a patient, I've been a relative and experienced horrendous care. Um, so for in, in cosmetic work? No, in, no, just in, in the NHS. Right. But I still work in the NHS, I still believe in it. I There's uh, loads of good people out there, doctors, nurses that I work with, and I think sometimes it can be potluck whether you get suboptimal care or amazing care. They're both there. For, for you, what, what is it that makes... What's the key part of amazing care? Seeing the person. Seeing the person and... Um, actually taking into consideration what they are looking for not just I know be- I know what's best um, so yeah but that, that's beautiful and I totally agree but um, tell me more about what you mean in the aesthetics field about seeing the person what does that mean to you in the context of jabbing a bit of extra filler into someone's chin yeah yeah a lot of People ask me, you know, what would you do to me? What would you give me? What would you do? And I think, well, I can't answer that for you. There's things that I see, but it's not necessary. I don't want to create uh, an issue with their confidence or self-esteem. And that was why I'm so interested in using the calipers (laughs) and getting, uh, you know, if people do ask me, I don't want to, I want to tell them how beautiful they are, not the reverse. Yeah. So I guess I'm struggling in that sense a little bit. Okay. Um, okay. That's that's. I I've been through this exact journey, and um, the interesting thing is, as you were talking through, is how much of it is similar. I'm wondering how useful this is going to be for so many people because um, that sense of uh, I don't really know if this industry is a, a healthy industry. I had that on my the first course I ever did was actually was in Edinburgh. Actually, I went up and did a training <laughs> course there. And uh, I called my wife halfway through and I said, I've, I've paid 1500 quid for this, so I'm going to have to do some patience, but I don't think I want to work in this industry long term. Mm-hmm. And that was based on the fact that in that course, there was this real sense of, as someone told me on the course, you need to get your pros feed treated. And I was 27, you know, and I had no issues with them. And, <laughs> you know, it was that kind, it's that kind of thing where you think mm-hmm. you're, you're basically pushing someone down a hole and selling them a ladder. Um, so and I totally agree with you. And what you what you mean, I think what you mean by saying the real person is it's about the it's about making them happy, isn't it? Yeah. It's not about making them unhappy and then making them happy again. Yeah. So uh, what I what I realized is to you're talking about the psychological needs of someone. How do you make someone thrive and feel confident and great without first bringing them down a level and then restoring it? Um, and I actually lost a patient years ago before I'd sorted out my philosophy on this because he walked in and said, tell me what I need. And I said, well, I, I can't tell you what I need because you need to tell me what you need. <laughs> you yeah, know? Yeah. And there's that. And that was the beginning of thinking he clearly needed something. He was looking mm-hmm. for something. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been there. And mm-hmm. he also wouldn't, if I said, well, what you need is, um, you know, a new print cartridge for your printer, he wouldn't have bought that because it's not why it's not his psychological need. You know, that would have been random. So... What, what you've got to do is get um, a little bit deeper into, into what they're really looking for. So I, I often think of clients in basically two different ways. Some people are looking for certainty, so they're looking to maintain themselves, mm-hmm. keep themselves the same, actually. And those people are terrified when you talk about augmentation. And others, particularly the younger ones, are looking to maximize their potential when they're young and to feel 
uh, sometimes to differentiate themselves, but to feel more beautiful. And that is also part of a survival instinct, as the way I understand it. Because when you're young and you feel confident in particular, you, you behave differently, you feel, you, and if you also look better, which is key, you're going to have more choice in terms of partners, even job, pros, job prospects. It basically increases your social power a little bit. And what people are often asking you for is either maintain me or restore my social power or maximize it so that I can make the most of my youth, which will be the springboard for the rest of my life. Now, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel that way often because it's, it's, it's very distant from that. But the way I understand people is there's that instinct of um, it doesn't it's a bit uh, it's a bit like the difference between hunger and nutrition. You know, no one eats for nutritional reasons. We eat because we're hungry. Um, so you, you, you then can choose, people then learn about it and they guide their diet better, but their primary driver is just a feeling. So a 26-year-old or a 23-year-old who's coming for a lip treatment, um, your daughter, for example, so she, she, was, she was looking for something that was going to increase her chances in life. I mean, it, it doesn't come across that way. It's more of, I'm excited to get my lips done, but what does that mean? It means that you feel more confident, you look more beautiful, and therefore, when you're out and about, you feel the bell of the ball rather than the one on the back foot because your other friend's a bit prettier. That makes you, basically, you're just more attractive and you have more options in your life. So if you, if you take it all the way back to that, your treatments have to do something that improve that scenario. So if you sell someone some cheeks and they've already got good cheeks, you've just taken their money for nothing. You haven't actually yeah. made them more confident. I think that's the fear that you and I also felt, which is that sense of someone comes in no, no particular issues you try and persuade them to have their cheeks done they have them what have they actually got from that scenario well nothing really and that's what we need to be careful of effect. yeah so it's yeah. exactly that we need to be saying so how does it affect you the, the key questions are often what actually happens in their life so tell me what you notice in the mirror that holds you back or they just gives exerts sometimes it's nothing more than just a little bit of drag yeah i don't really like you know, my, when, I put, when I put my lipstick on, it doesn't really make me happy. I feel like I wish I had a bit more lip. There's a key difference you can make there with someone. Mm-hmm. And then you can say, well, what I would recommend is a lip treatment because I know that when you put your lipstick on, you're going to feel different. You're then going to feel more confident that day and you're going to, that's going to change your whole day. And hopefully the whole time you've got that treatment, you will be a little bit more confident. But it's that psychosocial difference that is mm-hmm. where the ethical component lies. Yeah. If you're selling something that doesn't make a difference just because you can do it, um, and lots of practitioners do this. They just do this. Your, you know, your nose isn't straight. You need that treated, and someone accepts it, and they've never thought about their nose being a problem. Yeah. What do they get for that? Nothing. I mean, they might kind of like it, but it's not. It's not clear that that risk was worth the difference yeah. that you made to them. Does so, this one girl now think she has an issue with her, a problem with her chin that is not right? And yeah, and if you'd done it the other way around, it might have been okay if you'd got the mirror and said, is it something about your profile that you notice? And she mm-hmm. said, yeah, I'm not really keen on my profile. And, and then you could say, well, let me analyze your profile. And you could mm-hmm. say, well, your chin is part of that. Would it make you happier if you'd had that treatment? Mm-hmm. And she'd probably say yes. And she would have solved her own problem. The, the way I try and look at these things is we're, we are expert guides mm-hmm. and they are the heroes of their story. Now, as soon as you diminish them and then try and get them to fix it, you've ruined that. Yeah. They, you need to find out what their story is and then mm-hmm. once you've found their story you can be the guide that helps them solve it and then they leave the hero um, it's not about you being the hero because you know all the injections which mm-hmm. is um, yeah. th- that's, that's the way I try and look at it but I, I love that you've already had that thought you've felt that disease because hopefully if, if you can get back to their psychological needs and actually really 
allow them to invite you for every step. I always talk about invitations. You should get an invitation for everything that you offer. Would you like me to analyze your profile if you think that's something that you notice? Then the answer is yes. Um, it could be about, and then you explain, you know, your chin is a little bit recessed. That could possibly be something, if you bring it forward, that would align your profile. That would fit with the aesthetic rules that I know. Do you think that would make you happier? And I actually, even before I say that, I always say to people, there is nothing distracting on your face. There is nothing about your face that is, for other people, is an issue. Mm -hmm. This is all about trying to find little tweaks we can make that will make you happier. Mm -hmm. And the end goal is your happiness. And just by making the focus their happiness rather than your definition of beauty, that also shifts things slightly because they feel yeah. more in control of it. Mm -hmm. Because they know they're doing it for their happiness, not for your definition of their face. So there are, lo there are lots of things like this, but it, the interesting thing that happened to me, if you're worried about underselling, is the opposite actually happens. You end up doing more treatment, but you do it with clients who are happier to have it because you've understood them well. Mm -hmm. You've really understood their face and their perception of their face and you've given the perfect solution for their psychological picture of themselves okay. and that really liberates them and they leave feeling amazing because they solved their very specific problem they didn't solve someone else's perception of their problem um, it's, it's subtle but it's but Powerful. You, you'll get yeah. that just yeah. because you already feel uncomfortable hopefully by giving you this that, that concept and you can get into their psychological needs and what they really perceive of themselves mm -hmm. you're going to feel cleaner about doing that work even if yeah. it's more it's more filler than you or product that you thought mm -hmm. and that and you're going to when you see them again that's when it really works is that you'll see someone and say how was that how did that treatment affect you and if you've done the right treatment they will regale you with stories about how they're happier and mm -hmm. um, because of that thing you know on that day one popped into my head recently she went to the v, the v festival so the first time she'd ever taken selfies with her friends without worrying about the angle of her head because her nose was straight and i'm thinking she was at that festival enjoying life more because we did that procedure and that's yeah. a sign of a good treatment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. agreed okay so um tell me um, so yeah one more thank you for that because that's ex that's exactly the if everyone was like you this industry would be fantastic so you're really trying to find a real difference to, to people rather than just lining your own pockets and that's the fear everyone has mm -hmm. and i also happen to suspect that in the long term maybe not the short term but in the long term you should do better financially because people will grow to learn and trust you and when you give them good advice that might be more expensive they'll take it because they know you're doing it for their benefit mm -hmm. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, your journey towards getting a clinic. What do you think is, is there anything that's limiting you at the moment or are you on the right path to it? Um, I think we're on the right path, but it's, so the whole registration process is quite cumbersome. So we're mid-registration just now, um, so it's not yet complete and it's getting us where I have to write all these policies and procedures and there's some great areas with the which I wanted to ask you about dealing with a regulator so we're registering as mobile practitioner so it's going into people's own homes and doing it and I have all the things uh, the bed, the lights, the trays, the own paper towels, own soap, everything like that. But you're not allowed to do it in your own home. So it's like there's this crossover where what is it that actually makes it okay to go and do it in someone's home but you can't do it in your own. But you can do it in your own home as long as you have a room that's for the sole purpose. Mm -hmm. um, so, which I, I understand and I get, but I just, I'm not sure if it, that's them trying to 
keep the door open for people like myself trying to start off uh, but it's yeah it's just trying to so the, the, that's interesting because I don't, I don't actually don't know an awful lot about the regulations in Scotland. I know that they're different. They're actually, mm-hmm. if anything, slightly better than here. But that doesn't yeah. sound, that doesn't sound too prohibitive. You, no, you... no. Um, I don't know. <laughs> so you're, but you're in the stage where you're doing mobile treatments. Mm-hmm. You'd like to probably like to treat people at your home because it'd be easier and quicker. Yeah, but yeah. that's blocked because it's registered in your name. Yeah, Presumably. and it's um, because finding somewhere, finding a premises is difficult as well because they have to be up to Health Improvement Scotland standards, clinic standards, and there's it's there's not many out there that have the standards that they're looking for, mm-hmm. um, and some that I've been to see see potentially see the profit and so want to charge an exorbitant amount of money for rental uh, so i think our plan is to keep going until we can accumulate and open ourselves that, that's the that's the plan so um something that i've noticed about motivation is that if you if the plan is is very clear mm-hmm. you you'll see you'll feel your motivation go up so it's almost, can you do a budget on how much it will cost to kit out a room that will fit those standards? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this may not take you loads of time, but a, a broad you know, broad brush of it's going to cost me 5,000 or 10,000. Um, and then you kind of wrote, you just turn that back into how many clients do I need to see to achieve that? Mm-hmm. And then you'll, because you'll, you'll know you've got to pay your own wage and you've got to pay various yeah. other things and there's profit left, which you can save and you'll, you'll come up with a number which will be, a hundred or two hundred or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then as soon as you've got that, you then suddenly you can then build that into a whole business plan. So you can say, I need mm-hmm. to I need to somehow find another two hundred patients over the next eighteen months, and there might be something else that fits in with it. So I'm also going to do non-surgical rhinoplasty, and I think maybe one th- one fifth of my patients will be having that, and I can charge more for that because less people mm-hmm. do it, it's better filler, etc. Yeah. And then that, that then shortens it a little bit. So, um, but you you can suddenly reverse engineer what you need to achieve by looking at your whole business, and and it feels much more exciting because it's not a vague idea of we'll need to save for it. It's we need to see two hundred patients, and then I'll have my clinic. Okay. <clears throat> Another thing was probably part of registration is being able to show that you get quality feedback from customers. So, I wanted to ask. Like, how do you measure your own company? What sort of things do you have in place to guide you to improve, to audit? Um, so we, we have various internal things, um, which clients will never know about. Like we record complication rates. We have a doctor's group where, they, where anyone who sees a complication, they, they will record who that patient is, just the, the initials. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another doctor then goes through that on a regular basis and then reports back um, just in case there's something happening which is which we wouldn't necessarily pick up if we can look at the data like a, a filler that causes more reactions for example mm-hmm. uh, or you know someone who's causing more bruises that kind of thing will hopefully be flagged up mm-hmm. um, we, we may it won't really affect you in the same way but because because of multiple clinicians you can imagine the emotion runs quite high if mm-hmm. one clinician criticizes another clinician's uh, work which we incredibly rarely have but it's it, 
I realized this when I was doing in, when I was in A and E, which is that it stops people feeding back if they know um, that everyone's going to know that they said something about someone else's patient. So we we've anonymized it so that you just it's just the patient's initials and the date without any details, and that's just to decrease the friction of, of feedback. Mm-hmm. So that, that's more of a clinical governance type thing. You've then got patient normal patient feedback, which we just encourage them to leave reviews. Um, you could you then also as part of revalidation i also have to do reviews on and all the doctors have to do reviews on individual patients you give them a questionnaire and it literally yeah. will guide them through each question so um, i'd recommend something like that patient a patient feedback questionnaire i don't know how in terms of the legislation that you have whether that that's okay to just give them a questionnaire or whether they need some sort of anonymized version of it or i don't think so i think it's just as long as we have some sort of structure in place to to show that we can review and change yeah if necessary really and i tell you what although that's that sounds like there's lots of stuff you have to do for compliance which is really boring that is um incredibly valuable to you because uh, i remember hearing this years ago that the best businesses in the world have a very tight loop between customer feedback and improving the experience for the next customer Mm -hmm. so if you get something on your feedback that says um you know, Leanne really took her time. That's something you should go double on. I mean, you don't have to give more time, but get that yeah. sense that the time is never the limiting factor. Mm-hmm. Um, becomes it's a signal from the people that you're seeing that they value that, and that, and I, I've also noticed that many times that time is a big thing. If you yeah. ever make your patient feel like you're looking at the clock, mm-hmm. you suddenly demoted them to less important than time, and they feel that even if everything else is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could be something as simple as she was re- she was running on time or she measured my face yeah, and that made me feel more safe then you know like i should do that next time look for more opportunities to do it okay. and that cycle whatever comes back to that cycle if you can feed back in more positive and dismiss the negatives um as in subtract them uh, you'll yeah. get better and better mm-hmm. so that sounds like the kind of thing you should do even if you weren't um, regulated and i'm yeah. actually thinking as you're saying it we should do more of it we, we don't have a system of we do actually more for training actually obviously at every training course we get a, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. a form but we don't do it with patients routinely we do spells of it but yeah. it would be a good thing to have so that sounds like a good thing to give you some clarity about what your value in the marketplace is because mm-hmm. you'll be doing things that you just think are normal that actually aren't normal they're actually extra and you can find that out from your patients as well also makes them conscious of it and yeah. they will appreciate you more because you've asked them to write the positives down mm-hmm. thank you so, um, do you th- what do you th- so you've got this, the dream to open a clinic, you've got some, what do you think is limiting your growth at the moment in terms of how many patients you can see? Uh, being mobile and getting this registration sort- sorted, so um, I, I'm quite busy, I, I still work two days at the hospital. Uh, with four children on my own so it's my brother who's helping he lives in London so we kind of do calls every couple of days and check in we manage a diary together we're talking about getting a phone with the same number so he can start taking calls as well because I find I'm just constantly on my phone and I like it but I, I hate it at the same time so I just I think it's probably coming to the point where I need to start putting time in place for things. I 
like time management, but also when's my cut off point? Because I do have people contacting me, and it is for good reasons, but they just want to check in, and I tell them I am contactable all the time, just in case as well, mm. if anything's to happen, um, that they might need to, you know, immediate attention. So, yeah. That's great. You're um. So you are you doing it through Facebook or text or WhatsApp or? Uh, text, WhatsApp, Messenger, <laughs> whatever the client has, really. Because at least Messenger does allow you to set up a return message, a holding message. Mm. Um, there is something really good about what you're doing at the moment, which is at the time when you come to hire staff, you'll know the system really well. So Miranda, who's done that for us, she used to do all the bookings, and then she then we then hired our first member of staff, and she knew everything about how to manage patients, so she just mm. taught them how to do it. Right. Um, that could be something else that you it depends on the stage you're obviously probably not going to do that before you have your clinic but that first person who then starts to handle um, patients for you who are contacting you that's it we have thought about um, taking someone else on soonish like 6 to 12 months time because what, what we're finding in Scotland is that the training centres are still training people but they don't tell them till on the day that they have to then register with Health Proven Scotland which is a massive financial um, expense. How, so, how much does it cost? Be interesting. Um, £2,500 to register and then within the first month you have to pay the first year's registration which for a mobile practitioner is just under £1,000 um, and I think for a clinic it's just under two, so £2,000 a year Well, wow. eventually for a clinic. Yeah. So I know um, one or two folk already who are hindered from starting. Um, and the competition, like not the competition, but I found I felt quite alone up in Scotland. I looked at all the training centres up there and I chose yours because um, lots of different reasons. It seemed very person-centred, it seemed very focused on that. Some of them would say up in Scotland, you know, we'll train you, we'll support you for six months and that's it. And I was like, well, that's, what if you don't get any patients or clients in the first six months? So I thought the travel was worth it and I was right. Great. <laughs> I was definitely right with that. So um, they are kind of left, the ones that have done their training up in Scotland, they're looking for mentorship and to shadow and guidance. Um, and I want to give it, but I'm a little bit apprehensive on how I should go about it. Okay, so you've wondered about almost taking the next step, which is actually helping people who are coming in mm. from underneath. Um, that's interesting. So, what? How would you? How would that suit your aims overall? In terms of what you want to achieve, uh, I would. I would quite like it. I like to teach as well. Um, so it helps me learn more at the same time that I'm teaching and I, I get a lot from it as well so it's too soon just now but I want it want I want to work it into the plan <laughs> because as being being mobile ha actually having another practitioner would help greatly you could take turns you could be on call if someone phones and you know that's your night are you are you happy with your current? Two, you say you were two days in the NHS and three days in aesthetics. Or are you doing? It's going to be four days. Three, four. <laughs> yeah. So are you at the point where you actually feel quite maxed out with your clinical time? 
I'm getting there. It's good to know that <clears throat> because um, we've just been talking this, uh, the same thing. That if you can predict your your next limiting factor and then preempt it, so mm-hmm. your business will probably, if you keep doing what you're doing, it'll keep growing. And there, there will come a there's a crunch point which is inevitable, which is when you suddenly think I can't do this as hard anymore. Yeah. And if you could just do some simple maths around when that is, that would mm-hmm. allow you. There are two things you could do. One is you could, which might make more sense, but it's, it's an option. But what, what one is that you hire another clinician, mm-hmm. and you that would be a big cost of your business, but it give you your time back. And what do you what would you do with that time? You'd probably get into business building. Um, and then the other one would be that you you get someone to take off the other work part of the workload for you, um, and that I don't know the the right answer is usually whatever's cheapest will liberate you, the easiest. Um, so it depends how much time you're spending and whether you really could offload what you're doing in terms of managing clients to someone else or whether you couldn't because it's hard to get someone to at nine o'clock to answer the phone. But yeah, I mean I think it is something at least six months down the line before taking someone. I think what I need to do is manage my diet a little better. I'm very, because I'm thinking about the client and they want it, they're going out this date, they need it before then and blah, blah, blah. And I, I end up squeezing most folk in in a small time frame. So that, and then I do, the foreseeable future is less kind of, can't see what I'm doing or there's not a lot of bookings, but it's like each couple of weeks it fills up, fills up. Um, so I need to try, and my brother said this to me as well, that I need to try and say, right, no, the first appointment is then. And I think it's the thought of turning people away. How do you think people will feel if you say that you're fully booked on that day? And to wait? Fine. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> but disappointed, but that, that, that would be that. i tell you what else happens, which has happened to me, is they also think... She's good. They, they don't say that about me. They say, <laughs> <laughs> they say he's yeah. good. But it, the, a waiting list is, is actually quite good for business um, to a degree. Now, there is a point where it goes so far in the future that people get frustrated. Mm. But yeah. um, that sense that she's in demand is good for your business. Um, and it might only take them waiting two days for them to get that sense. Um, mm-hmm. And that's also the way I would sell it at that point of delay. You'd say, I'm, I'm just, there's so many, I'm just... I'm so busy at the moment. You're you're very important to me. I'd love to book mm-hmm. you in, but can I do it then? Another another thing you could try is to preempt their next booking, so you can start to plan in the future. So you'd say, um, I know it's difficult. You found it a bit difficult to get in today at your convenience, so that you have the best pick of the next appointment time. Would you like to book your next one now? Um, and that takes the workload and the WhatsApp and yeah, the conversation yeah, yeah. out a little bit. Um, there's one other thing I thought I could possibly offer you, which is there's a resource, there are various resources, which I haven't tried myself, but they, they do exist, and some big clinics use them. Um, one's called Aesthetic Resource, I think, and they do um, telephone answering services for, for clinics. So what you'll get is a, gen- is a person who knows about aesthetics, giving taking information, kind of generic information, name, address, and they will know your name, and they will say, we'll get you, we'll get you booked in. They might have control of your diary to book some stuff, Mm-hmm. Um, they're not. They won't be because they do for hundreds of clinicians. They won't necessarily know mm-hmm. all the details of you know what's what is it okay if I can see on Wednesday what time did she pick the kids up from school. They won't know that. Um, 
so um but they but but that's one other thing to maybe explore i don't even know how much it costs i know there's a big clinic that uses it and i know a couple of small people who use it so it obviously works mm -hmm. um but that might be another option to consider in terms of how you where you reduce your workload so that you can get on with the more important stuff um i think strategically you've always got to be looking at where your greatest value add is and there's one thing the one thing that no one else can do quite as well as you at the moment is that actual patient contact so um, and even if you find another clinician you'll you'll have to go through trying to find someone who's aligned with what you want to achieve and, and yeah. that's we had some very tough times trying to find people who agreed with how I wanted to run my business so they either just a bit kind of ego they don't want to learn from you they either they know it all already or they just have a slightly different ethos they're just a little bit too into jazzy injections rather than treating the person first yeah. Um, there are all sorts of reasons why you might feel uncomfortable because remember these people you obviously care about them mm -hmm. to hand them over to another clinician is tough sometimes so how did you interview then because competency interviews are our favorite because anybody can say that they can do what you want them to to do so how did you um, I go hugely by personality and the vibe rather than the skill set. I mostly have hired people who didn't have the skill set and I trained them. So I hire for, I hire for, for right. attitude mm -hmm. and then train for aptitude is yeah. how the saying goes. So I go on whether, whether I like someone, whether I think they, they seem like nice people to deal with. I know it's very vague. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it works really well. I mean, we do have... There are specific things you look for, obviously. I mean, I need them to be a GMC registered doctor or something yeah. or... Um, but then it's uh, we, we did um, at one stage make them sculpt uh, a plasticine horse, which was quite funny, on the grounds that I wanted someone who was artistic, um, and actually um, that doesn't the correlation of that wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be, so we stopped doing it. Um, but it was funny to see uh, doctors all in their suits sculpting plasticine horses' heads. Um, yeah, we used to do that in theatre with the medical students, <laughs> with the cement and the bones and all that. Yeah. Like, what, what, yeah, a level of creativity. So, but for the other thing is alignment in terms of what they want. If you're going to be the entrepreneur, you a lot of our clinicians have other businesses, but it does suit them quite well that we take a lot of the of the the effort off them for three days, four days a week, and then they do the stuff you're doing now, which is hard work. Mm -hmm. They do that the rest of the time, and for that they get other things like training and support, and and mm -hmm. uh, and they you know they've got what you're looking for, which is a little bit of backup. Yeah. Um, so those things are very important. There, there will be a clinician probably within you know half a mile of you who wishes they had someone to to lean on as well, um, and that's an opportunity for you. Um, so yeah. there is something in that. Then the question just becomes about when, and obviously that's the most expensive thing that you'll yeah. hire because they'll be they'll take a big chunk of of your earning, yeah. um, and it's you need to do it at a point where you've saved quite a lot because the first thing that happens is you your income drops. If yeah. you, your income shouldn't drop actually your your profits would drop um, okay. if you protect your income you should protect your income at somewhere I think I, we used to I used to get 23,000 a year so um, this is obviously fully qualified doctor it was terrible wage but I knew I could live on that mm -hmm. and then and then I'd build up re uh, revenue and then plug a new doctor in and then do actually at that time I'd keep working so we keep growing it and plugging new doctors in but my wage wouldn't go up I'd just get the clinic busier right. um, so that, that's one of the ways you can do it but mm -hmm. you 
you can't underestimate the power which your brother might do for you if he's into that sort of thing the actual mathematics of how much does this cost and how many clients will I need to see in order for that next step to work Mm. but he was the one that told me how many treatments I've done so far great so it was good yeah he wants to compile Um, that's why he wanted to watch what what I was doing and he he had a grasp of it but actually seeing uh, the treatments being carried out he was like this is pretty heavy stuff it's a lot of questions came into his mind about things and how we can build on it how you know even just with the medical questionnaires at the beginning is there anything sort of mental health wise we can put in you know just trying to keep the ethical side of it in there so it's visible for regulators for for clients Mm -hmm. just exploring 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 yeah, I, I mean, I hundred percent agree with that, and there's n- we have no pressure really to do that in the in the, in the outside no, of the border. No. Um, but I still think there's actually a commercial benefit in getting into that psycholo- psychological um, mm-hmm. side of things, and uh, and reputation wise, I still tell stories of people I've refused treatment to to people who are worried about whether it's right for them. Um, you get something back from saying no to people from being careful. Yeah. The only thing I'd say f- say is don't do it and not tell anyone about it. You should, I've got this big thing at the moment with marketing, which is you're taking a very responsible approach, putting people first. Mm-hmm. Can I tell that from your website? Um, because sometimes you obviously figured it out with our training school somehow. I don't know exactly what, what it was that triggered you to do that, but we're obviously getting enough of the message out that we're a bit different, that it works. But I don't see, I see a lot of passionate clinicians who really care about people and about making them happier who you can't tell from their website they've got before and afters galore and special offers and there's nothing about their ethos and Mm -hmm. actually you should you should put that almost front of house because it's the most difficult thing to replicate you are who you are there's no there's no one else who's going to be exactly like you in terms of how you care about patients people will try different things but and you also can't you can't copy it unless you believe it you obviously have a something in you that wants to do the right thing which yeah. is amazing and um, make sure everyone knows about it okay um, just yeah my, my story about that which is I realised that when um, Restylane were trying to sell me their fillers and they told me about their silicon coated needles and I was really amazed I was like wow silicon coated needles I must have these because I just like the idea that they'd slide in easy and they wouldn't yeah, hurt yeah. and uh, I was ready to switch all our product buying over to Restylane for these needles and then I mentioned it to the Allegan guys and they were like We've had silicon-coated needles for years. <laughs> so, well, you never told me. So, so you, we all do things that we don't tell our patients we do that they really value. Mm-hmm. And you should, when you, when you do this audit on what's important to your patients, remember also not just to d- deliver on it, but somehow weave it into your messaging right. so that people can tell mm-hmm. that you're basically a person-centered business because mm-hmm. long t- there is nothing more important to people than that. Uh, price is not as important as as the person who's looking after you and if you don't communicate it you're left talking about price and the more you put out offers trying to get people in the more you answer the phone and how much and you answer how much and it's not cheap enough um the more you're talking about the value that you add the better it will be for your business if you actually think about exactly what we're doing right now that's what i'm doing for our training business is i'm Mm -hmm. adding value i'm treating people as real people there'll be other people who want to do training who will come across this and it'll work for us and the great thing is in the meantime, it's working for you, so mm-hmm. everyone's happier. Yeah. Um, and that I call that the beautiful symmetry, which is that that everything you do that's good 
comes back to you in one way or the other but you, you do need to tell people about it mm-hmm. so try and weave it into your marketing so yeah. that people know how good you are I would say probably that is one thing I need to work on is the Facebook page and starting the Instagram page and talking more okay so t- well, tell me more about that what would you like to do differently on your Facebook page what do you think would be be more uh, out there I don't I post pictures and I see a few things and sometimes I say the odd thing if I'm feeling it but I, I'm a bit apprehensive to put myself out there yeah not apprehensive I want to but it's probably confidence yeah you're not you're not a natural part. extrovert look at me type yeah yeah, yeah. me neither it takes practice <laughs> <laughs> um but it's good that you've identified it because mm-hmm. accepting that um, then you can start to strategize how to get around that. Um, what What are you most proud of of yourself that you think would be nice if people knew? Of myself. Yeah, of your offering for clients, of yourself. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, can, I can come up with some ideas already. If only. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to sell myself. I, I think I do it well with the client. Talk, tell me what you do well with a client that might be a lead into it. Um, they're my priority and I make them feel it and they know it and they, that's what they tell me. What do you think you're doing in that consultation that's making them feel that way? Listening to them. Yeah. So you're, the, the way I understand it is, there's, is tr- you've got trust with your clients. Yeah. It cannot be underestimated how powerful that is and how hard it is to get if you don't deserve it. No one is trusted unless they've done something to deserve it. So um, I think there are three types of trust that people people need to see in order to take a step forward. And you can convey that in your marketing. So one of them is competence. So how do you, how do you convey in your Facebook page, in your Instagram page, that you are competent? Now, some of it is digital, like it's yeah. look at my certificate. And some of it is just that you look smart and presentable. Mm-hmm. that you look like a nurse could be or that you there's something about the layout of your clinic that looks competent for some people that's enough of, that's enough um, and in fact it's it's really interesting we did an audit on our website where I got people to look at it and said well, how do you make your decision and about half the people just liked the fact that it looked like a big posh clinic and the other half went straight to the detail of I want to see how many qualifications they've got yeah. so different people do different things so you have to try different things but you can I think a, a good photograph especially on Instagram, somewhere of yourself mm-hmm. is important. Re- remember also that people buy from people. And so something that looks competent will build that one type of trust. Could be a qualification. Could be, we, take a picture, we should take a picture today if you're being interviewed on a podcast. That should go on your Instagram. <laughs> um, sure. <laughs> um, you can do... So that's, that's one kind of trust, competence. Yeah. The next type of trust is... Um, uh, emotional safety so does this mm-hmm. person look like someone I could imagine having a chat with now, you have you you are that kind of person I have no you've just told me that you are you care about your patients you're connecting with them you're building a natural client base just by word of mouth yeah. you, you there's no way that you're doing that without without having that skill the question is is it obvious on your Facebook page um, things you can do just I mean th- the question I'd say is go away with the question how do I make myself look as nice and as caring as I really am on my Facebook page and you'll come up with all sorts of ideas 
but one of the things you can do is little selfies with your patients who are happy if they're happy with it the most popular feed i'm not actually that good i'm going to get better at instagram it's one of my things but I, i just i know how it works i just don't implement it enough either just like you um but probably one of my most popular posts is just me standing next to a patient and I've, I've taken a picture of us two, the two of us together and I have a, little, a, little, a nice little story about how her, her, um, her mum said to her many, many years ago. Um, I think that was such a sweet thing. She said, for some reason, she thought everyone was staring at her. She was only about 13. She said, Mum, why is everyone looking at me? And, and her, her mum knelt down and whispered in her ear, because you are so beautiful. And she always, she told me that story and it really resonated with me and I thought I should just tell that story out there. Now, um, people love that story, did, did really well on Instagram and that's, that's because it's, a re- it's real about her and it's real mm-hmm. about me. I obviously liked it she, and it obviously tells people that I, that I have these kind of conversations with my patients. Yeah. So that might only be one post and you may think even if it doesn't get like 20 likes or something, people will scroll, th- scroll through and read it because... If you look at your own behavior, particularly on Instagram, I know what I do when, I, when I'm... I've, I've done it with you today before you came. <laughs> I went straight to your two pages and I looked through yeah. to look for pictures of you that would tell me about the real person underneath, not just the, the procedures. And I think mm-hmm. there's an element of you have to be confident to do that. Because actually what a lot of people do is they paint the picture of a corporation. The, the funny thing I always think is quite funny, and I think I might have done it myself, when you write on your About Us page, when it's just you by yourself, you yeah. say... We at Skin Viva. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, for me, the sooner you get rid of that and just become authentic, because you're a good person, remember that, because you're a good person who looks after your patients and you care about them, okay. you need to get that out. Yeah. Um, the, the, and the, in, the more raw and natural it looks, the better. Um, and that's kind of, we're actually doing it now, so I'm being filmed at the moment. I had this realisation with our business, I believe we're good at what we do, I believe we really care about the people we look after. I was trying to come up with creative ways to get that across and I suddenly thought I don't need to be creative I just need to get the truth out yeah, yeah. I just need to t- show people what we're doing so mm-hmm. um, that's, that's, that's what I'd recommend for you because I believe you in what you've told me that you are doing the same thing you just need to somehow get that message out um, I've gone off on a massive tangent the third type of trust is um, competence mm-hmm. and you can earn all of these things you are already doing in your consultations, otherwise your patients wouldn't be recommending you. Um, but you can earn um, trust in your competence either through just your qualifications and your certificates, but you can also do it in the consultation by, ad- by, by looking for ways to tailor treatments. Mm-hmm. So um, last time my brow was a bit heavy. You explain why that could have happened. You come up with a strategy to avoid it next time. That feels amazing to people. A lot of people will say, oh, it's one of the side effects. Sorry about that. And that doesn't make yeah, you, yeah. I, some people have said that to me that they've gone back to other their old practitioners, and that's the sort of thing they've said to them. Um, and I try, especially with anti wrinkle treatments, and it's their first time. I, I'd, I'd rather under treat and do a top up so they can find what look they they prefer. Um, and then because you keep it in documentation, then next time we know exactly what to do, how much to inject, and and they, I think they quite like that. The idea yeah. of the plan, um, personalised. They do absolutely love it. it gives yeah. them real certainty about the fact that you're that you're professional, which I think is also mentioned in lots of your reviews. It comes up as professional. Yeah. That's like competence, and um, I also I think people still do lesser done than they can, even with marking out. I know I no longer, for example, with um, certain treatments, draw on the face anymore because I know mm-hmm. I'm, I've done it so many times. Yeah. 
but when I train a new doctor who works for us, I always get feedback. Oh, that new doctor's great. He really took his time to mark up the face. And, you know, on the other side, we're thinking, oh, it's only because he's new, but actually patients love it. Yeah. The more systematized and controlled it feels, the more competent it feels. And that's another great way to build trust. Um, so, yeah, three, three different ways. Uh, the question I would say is, how can you get the truth of what you're doing onto your Instagram page, onto your Facebook mm-hmm. page? Yeah, definitely something to work on. Um, the people make on the other end of that process of getting people's attention and building trust is that they will take action and they will they will phone you. You don't you almost don't have to ask them to phone you as long as you're doing all the other steps. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does take time. That's a slow burner. An offer makes people suddenly pick up the phone. Um, but even if you don't do that, because we actually do very very few offers, but we're constantly trying to churn out material that that builds trust, gets attention, builds trust. Mm-hmm. And um, the next, there are two other stages to this process which uh, I think about, which is one is helping them make the decision in your marketing. So a lot of people don't act because they're not sure what the right thing is for them yet. Yeah. And if you produce material that is, how do I decide which filler to have in my lips? Um, how do I decide what to ask for in my Botox treatment? I mean, it's not that you're not going to consult them when they get there anyway, yeah. but their sense of, I know what I'm going to ask for, grows, and then eventually they pick up the phone. So um, I call that clarity. So clarity, uh, sorry, that's decision-making, empowerment. Mm-hmm. How do you empower someone to make the decision before you've met them? Um, and that and that also should be transparent. You know, the more you make it fake and, you know, it doesn't really hurt and, and uh, you know, it's everyone gets a gorgeous re- result, the more you can say, actually, some people don't get a gorgeous result because it's not the right thing for their face. Mm-hmm. Actually, the more certainty people have, to, to pick up the phone and actually ask you for help. Um, and the final step is clarity, and that's just the simple kind of make sure there's a phone number and how do they call you, what is it actually, when you call them, what happens? You know, when you call me or when you text me, I will message you back and I will advise you some appointment dates and then we can slot you in the diary, have a consultation, and if you're ready for a treatment, you can book. Okay. It sounds almost like you're over-explaining, but what it does is it takes away the doubt from people in your marketing and they become just more clear what you need mm-hmm, to do mm-hmm. so they're not wondering what happens when I call there's no questions left for them yeah um, I get in touch I know. Yeah. but I would say by far the most important thing is people will find a way of getting in touch if they if they trust you and they think that what you say you can do you're going to deliver on because you've, you've it's obvious who you are and they've seen some good before and after pictures and they agree with your ethos they will eventually um, book in yeah. I have had two the two different types of people that you were talking about the, some of my clients say oh, you know have you did you have a look at my facebook page before you got in touch or, or after treatment you know because i give them a like a business card and they stamp it or offers later down the, down the line um, and a little kind of goodie bag with a wee chocolate in it and some arnica gel and an applicator and they seem to really really like it but i put the chocolate in there one to say thanks but also i find for some people, they can be a bit wheezy, like, you know, a little bit nauseous afterwards. It's just a little wee bit of sugar to get them on their way. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, th- so they really like it. And some people, no, I never saw your Facebook page. And then others, yeah, oh, yes, I had a good look through your Facebook page, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, before I even got in touch with you. Because uh, some do really care about what kind of work you do. Um, some have expressed that, they didn't want to see someone who just did lips, young girls' lips. They they do older people as well, and mm-hmm. um, they can branch out and look at the different. I was going to say styles of lips, but you know, <laughs> different shapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's great. And um, as you were saying, that a thought that I've had recently about what differentiates you in the marketplace is there are lots of people who can do very similar injections to both of us. It's everything that you do on top of the injections which differentiates you. Because everyone, you can do, you can buy a mill of Juvederm for 90 quid and you can sell it for 120 and get your 30 quid. Mm. Um, and if, for most people, even the result will probably be okay. But those extra things that, that you're doing for free, the chocolate, the, the aftercare, yeah. that just demonstrates to people that you care about their experience. Um, and that's, that'll be different. I, that is not normal. What you're doing there is, is, is way better than average. And that is, that is one of the reasons you're going to have a great return and it's almost symbolic of your attitude and that's the thing that they're buying again they want that attitude again it's not that they come back for the chocolate <laughs> they come back for the attitude um, which is that you care about what happens after they've paid this is yeah. also a thing that I'm really interested in and if you think about if you and because you're person-centered you're, you this is why you're doing it this is going to run through your whole business you don't even know it but that's why you've got clients because <laughs> it's the thing that you're that's holding you back in a way because you're worried about over treating but it's also the thing that's it's actually going to win for you in the end right. um you're you're concerned about the experience after they've paid you mm -hmm. um that is beautiful and the more you the more you do for them after they they've paid you the happier they will be and the more likely they'll be to come back yeah. So that that's really that's really great. Do you do anything to encourage um, referrals in your bag? Um, I I did start like saying maybe five percent off. In fact, I think I still have it on my business card, but no one, no one, no one actually reads it, and nobody they just look at the the backside where they they get their stamps, mm -hmm. um, and they bring that every time, you know, and they just refer me. I had a lady who lived in Dubai and had her anti-wrinkle treatments there for years and when she came she wanted the anaesthetic cream put on and we talked about it and I wondered why and you know uh, it's fine I'd, I'd, you know I will do that for you that's absolutely fine but I wanted to get to was she really sensitive um, and then after the procedure she said that there was absolutely no pain at all. I don't. But maybe it was the cream. <laughs> and she said, "Well, no, because in Dubai, you know, all the the big surgeons there, they it still was really painful for her." And I said, like, I, "I couldn't understand why." I said, "Well, were they using the same syringe? For did you notice?" Yeah, she said, "Yes, it was just the one big syringe for like four areas." And I said, "Ah, that's maybe why uh, Angel gets blunt and." And she said, maybe that's it. And so she used, she's just been raving about me and she sent me two more clients and um, it was it was wonderful. And she just said that uh, I was better than the five-star Dubai guys. <laughs> so yeah, it just really uh, boosted my confidence a bit in trying to, I suppose, get that out there. I want to be able to be confident enough in myself I am when I'm doing it and I'm talking about it, but just advertising it and marketing it, I want to be able to do that. Great. That, that's another good example of that. the whole silicon needle example is that you, yeah. you're doing something you're not even aware of that your patient noticed. Mm -hmm. That's why you're getting that information back is so useful because that's your marketing. Um, you can, it's, in fact, so there are businesses that write entire websites based on the copy in your in your reviews so we've got 150 reviews online mm. more than that now two two three hundred but 
you'd literally take those words and write copy for your next customers to see it because you're, you're, you're reflecting what's really important to people rather than what you think is important to people. Mm-hmm. And, and this, that's the key, actually, because your client has told you that the way you do Botox, your Botox injections is way less painful than a five-star clinic in Dubai, and you would never have known that unless you'd had that feedback, and you can actually incorporate that into a story. I mean, you, this is the kind of thing, if you, if you can get into that mindset, is turn that into an Instagram post, take a picture of your needles, tell the story, put it out there. And if you don't like being in the picture, because I, I also battle with that, <laughs> um, but if but you can still do something that can tell a story, because mm-hmm. in every single one of your reviews is a story, and in, you've got tons of stories you've really told me today about stuff. How can you turn that into something that you can make it take an image of and put it on Instagram okay. or Facebook, and and get the truth of your clinic out there? And and it is just the truth. You don't have to. This is the breakthrough for me: is that it's it's not synthesized. It's not marketing as in faith. Yeah. It's just who you are and what you believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can sometimes help people just put more stuff out. Realizing that it may not seem a big deal to you because you've always done it, but the fact that you start all your consultations with a little chat about who they are and where they've come from and what the weather's like rather than going straight into injections, yeah. that's the kind of thing that actually matters to people. Um, it's not the only thing that matters. You have to put your before and afters and stuff on there, but it's yeah. the stuff that differentiates you. Okay. That's very helpful. Thank you. Um, so, um, the, the, the other thing, now you've got four kids. Yeah. You're, you had a perfectly good job um, that you could have plowed on with. What, what, is it, what is it that that's driving you to put yourself through all the stress of starting a business? And um, I'm quite ambitious and I did want to move up. I love my job in theatre. Which is why I'm still there, I guess. But I have a voice and I use my voice and I do my research and some people don't like it. <laughs> so it was difficult. Like I, I did get supported, but I, I'm at the stage now where I would never get promoted. I don't feel like I would get promoted in the NHS. Uh, and that's okay. It's helped me transition to do what I'm doing that I've actually looked into doing and wanted to do for a while um, and I suppose it was letting go of that so I then took a step back from running a theatre to one of my friends then filling my shoes uh, and it was difficult to go in two days a week and not interfere and but, but help and she was so relieved when I was there it took the stress off of her go and do what you need to do because I know how I know how it is um, and I want to be able to I guess grow from that with this and because I'm a, I am a bit of a grafter and I, the hard work is what I do so I think it will be difficult to relinquish the reins a little bit in six months time or a year's time to bring someone else on mm-hmm. um, but tell what was the question again <laughs> <laughs> so you I'm, I'm just trying Why to get to what you're yeah what's your, what's driving you to take make this big change because it is stressful and difficult and there's good parts of it as well but there must be something very important that's making you do this yeah, I guess it is change um, 
there's a lot that I see in the NHS that I, I would have liked to have been a bigger part in. Um, do, you feel, do you feel a bit claustrophobic in the NHS? Is it that kind of, that you can't change it or you can't grow within the NHS? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think and a lot of people get a bit stagnant and run down by it and choose just to accept that's the way it is um, rather than learn from it and see in what way they can change. So I still have a big input, I think, when I'm at work and people still kind of come to me, uh, but I'm way more removed from the politics of it all. Mm-hmm. So that that's a good thing for you to be removed from that politics, is that right? Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And what what is building your business going to do for you? Why is that important rather than just getting another job? Um, family security. I, I I was a late starter with university, and so my older two girls kind of saw how difficult it was to do that when you're older and have children so it's important to them that they get university and they go and um, so teaching them things about life to prepare them better than perhaps I was um, quicker <laughs> um, I, I like the autonomy but it's also very scary working on your own uh, which is why I love the network so much and I, I don't participate in it as much as I, I want to or feel I, I should. And I think that's going to be one of my goals, maybe to change that. I think I read things and I, and I want to like put my, my words in, but I just feel either drained or tired. And I think You are working else. pretty hard. But I'm, I'm yeah. aware of you on the forums. I see your name <laughs> pop up. You're engaging. Yeah, about. yeah, more so now because I, I thought, no, I want to. So, uh, yeah, and people have helped me. So I'm trying to give back a bit more as well. So you're, um, so there's, there's the moving away from forces, moving away from an, an NHS that's maybe a little bit claustrophobic and a little bit stressful and maybe a dead end for you. Is that, is that fair to say? I didn't even find it stressful, no. No, not stressful, no. just, just nowhere. Was, it was invigorating and it was challenging, but then I couldn't go any further. Right. I'd been for several um, sort of band sex interviews and got feedback, accepted feedback. You know, I, I, there's just a, a noticeable I don't know how to say it without being too critical, but um, I think I have too much of an opinion and I don't know that they feel like they could I'm not I wouldn't say it was confrontational if I I I understand like you run a business and your manager you want people to think the way you think Mm. but I think it would be helpful to have someone who challenges you on that as well Um, is it do you have a driving like almost a force to create it in a new way like a, a different version yeah of, yeah, yeah. Um, getting people to think more f- differently rather than going yeah 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 you know it's is, is that one of the things that you that you that you're doing your business for that you can do that within your business you can yeah yeah you know, that's great and autonomy you mentioned that's a big one for me right? mm-hmm. um, for me that's what started it's really that was a driving force for me is autonomy as well 
And tell me about what it would mean to your daughters that you do well in this, like what or to you in relation to your daughters. Did you say you said two daughters? Have you got two daughters and two two sons? sons. Okay, and for all of them really. Yeah, to see that you can achieve whatever you want to achieve, whatever you put your mind to. It's not a case of you can't. It's you won't. (laughs) You know, if you want it, go and get it. Go and do it. And you know, if you need help, ask for help. Rather than, you know, just thinking you're on your own. You can't get anywhere on your own. I think there was that old African proverb, what is it? Um, if you want to go fast, go on your own. If you want to go far, go together. So, you know, so they help me as well with the, my oldest is going to help me with my Instagram page, you know, just because they are quite, they're quite heavy into it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I need your help. <laughs> Great. Yeah. But uh, you should use if you can make them feel connected with your success, the small part of your success as well. That'll really ingrain to them that exactly what you want, which is that sense that you're in control of your own destiny. I think. Yeah. That, um, and I, I think the, you, the, I feel that as well about my kids. I want I want to make a point to them about life using my business. It's mm-hmm. not even a, it's not about the money. It's about making a point. Um, and it's so, it, I think it's. I use that for leverage to make me do things that I don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I mean, uh, for me, public, spe- I know I'm kind of doing it all the time. You wouldn't, people would maybe surprised, but public speaking was not something I enjoyed or wanted to do. Um, but I literally use my, my, I imagine my kids watching me overcome that. And then it mm-hmm. makes me, it makes me more likely to do it, yeah. even though they may never notice or care. Um, <laughs> they're only two and four, <laughs> but, but it, it, I can tell them the story one day and um, yeah. and uh, for me it makes you do things when you're not thinking about yourself so much or what you're going to get paid but about yeah. what it will teach them about life is a great mm-hmm. thing um, so that might the, the reason I like that question is it could it can help you over the hard times because that's when it really matters if you yeah. think about what your what your kids are going to learn from you if it was all easy they would learn nothing know. you know mum just started it and never had any problems and it was all easy and <laughs> um, <laughs> Whereas those the real low points, the frick, you know, the um, the doubt, the self doubt, but then overcoming that, those become mm-hmm. the stories that you can tell them and that they will model one day. You know, maybe even if you're gone, it's that I remember mum doing that and over yeah. and overcoming it. Um, for me, that's that's such a motivator, and mm-hmm. um, and you can you can definitely use that in in your lowest points. Think what would I want them to say about me in twenty years time about this moment, and you'll come up with different ideas. Um, it's basically it's empowering because I think you're obviously as you said a grafter and you're not afraid of putting of, of actually really going for it which is which is amazing but there are still always little things that are that you're being held back on and if you can yeah. use some sort of leverage to get you over that that mm. can be really good so um, what do you think is the big thing now that we're looking back on our conversation the big thing that you need to do next to take your business to the next level um, social media and trying to break into, um, should I say? So my my network of clients so far has probably been a certain social background, or um, wealth, you know, class. So I want to maybe. Break, in, break the barrier and get into 
more sort of affluent areas and raise the awareness of myself in those areas. Mm-hmm. That's a good strategy. Um, how, d- what would be your, what do you think? So th- this is a useful question you can maybe ask yourself almost every day. And, and I, we try and, I try and do it even with our marketing team. And um, what's what the smallest thing you could do that, that would shift you in that direction that would be significant? Now, the reason that question is phrased as such is because if you choose the answer, I need to master social media, that's off put you it'll be you're too far away from that yeah. to do that so it's what's the smallest thing that's a step in that direction um and then you just ask yourself that question every day and but it must feel significant to you because if it feels significant to you that you create a post that you've never created before you know maybe it's a client story or it's one of the things we talked about or something else you come up with mm-hmm. but you've never done that before because you've never done it before it'll feel significant it'll feel like a stepwise improvement in what you're doing that might be enough for you to get that buzz of yes I'm making progress mm-hmm. and that buzz of progress is what drives you to keep going you must already have it otherwise you wouldn't be going yeah. um, but you must you know when you had no clients for the first few months and then suddenly you started to get them there's mm-hmm. an amazing buzz of like where's this anything could happen now because I'm <laughs> <laughs> so if you can get that in the next phase which is social media then you'll take off um, so so if with those two aims what would be the smallest thing that you could do that would give you a sense of I'm heading in the right direction with social media? Um, setting myself a goal of perhaps posting a minimum times a minimum amount of times a week, I think, and actually starting. So, the goal um, is great. The action. What action would you feel? Would, if setting the goal could be your action, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could do that right now. What, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, um, what, what would feel like? Now remember, this is not because ideally, if you're going on Instagram, you post three times a day. That's a big ask if you're not doing that already. So you might choose something that feels like progress that mm-hmm. isn't three times a day, because then at least you've proven to yourself that you can change your pattern. So what would feel like a a, a small but significant increase in how often you use social media? What can I do? Um, a, a small, just a small. Maybe degree. making a post once a week and reflecting on the week. Possibly, you mean something like that? Yeah, it could just be one post a week. Keep it simple. It doesn't have to be. You you can decide the content, you know, later. But just at the in the short term, just decide to do one post a week would be would be great. If it, does that feel significant to you? Yeah. Worth doing an improvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I, I occasionally post before and after pictures. And it's very sporadic. I don't do it every day. And I, maybe I should. I don't know. If, uh, on Instagram, you should. Facebook, yeah, maybe once a day. You don't want to post too often. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, just to talk more. So maybe start once a week, just a paragraph. Reflective or... Yeah, or something else. <laughs> it's, it's it's hard it's to be hard, cre- it's yeah. hard to be creative now in this podcast. Mm. It's quite hard to suddenly think of a genius idea, but the commitment to do something small. I mean, it might just be that your smallest thing is just to do one reflective piece, see how it works. Then it's one mm. before and after. But you're trying to do one thing a week. That's at least an, it's a stepwise improvement, because sometimes what people do is they punish themselves unconsciously for not doing seven posts a day. They think, well, if I'm yeah. not doing seven, then I'm doing nothing. And they do nothing instead of seven. Um, and actually what you can do is just shift it up a little bit. 
mm-hmm. and get used to that and then you'll shift it up again yeah. particularly if you start to get a response from it then it spurs you on mm-hmm. so the other the other idea which is to try and target um, clients in a more target's a terrible word isn't it but you know <laughs> um, to try and get to try and get clients that are in a more affluent area to improve your business that way what what do you think the next step would be with that um I've already I mean I've already had a couple of members of Parliament actually in Scotland. So it's not been it's not been <laughs> terrible. Um but there is a lot of social kind of groups and clubs on Facebook and I joined one of them purely so that I could eventually say, Hi, I'm here, this is what I do and you can offer it's called Egg, Edinburgh Gossip Girls. Mm-hmm. And um with this egg card they pay membership for the egg card and then they get discounts so it was to work out eventually what sort of discount I could offer them and so I could advertise through them um, and then I don't know really what else or how so maybe one of the other things is, is Facebook targeting that's probably the easiest thing at the moment is that and you pay can for the post to yeah be... have you paid for a post yet yeah yeah, yeah. So um, now it also depends what your post is. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, it won't always work. But if you can get, um, usually it's a series of posts that builds some sort of, some sort of. It's the trust thing again. What can what can you do with your post to get attention and then builds trust, um, and you can target that at people who fit certain profiles. So it could be that they like Zara, they shop at Zara, or that they, um, the, all sorts of things obviously you can imagine that, that would be associated with having a little bit of expendable income or with a certain mm-hmm. age group you could do with geography as well which is something that's worth thinking about if you think you know where you want your clinic to be mm-hmm. don't build your client base somewhere else and then ask mm-hmm. them to move we made that mistake um, with okay. all the salons and you just lose tons of clients so you lose a lot of the effort you've put in mm-hmm. depending on how far you're travelling and stuff but yeah. um, that could be another thing so um, but the the number of different techniques is probably limitless, but being really conscious of the goal is the most important thing. Because right. if every day you ask yourself the question, how do I get more affluent clients, you're going to come up with loads of solutions. Okay. Um, and and that might be something to do more, more regularly. The other way that I would say, it doesn't necessarily have to be affluence. What I, what I call them is certainty-driven people. So people who mm-hmm. care about quality, not people who care about, quite, about price. Yeah. And you, you are probably going to naturally drift that way because of the kind of thing that you're already doing, the way you're talking about your products um, and the way that it's word of mouth. Those people are very trust-driven. They're not going to mm-hmm. just Google the lo- or go to the latest um, you know, Groupon yeah. deal. So you're probably doing the right thing already. But um, maybe it's a routine of once a week with your business partner, ask what are we doing to get more certainty-driven people or affluent okay. people, however you do it. And just do one little change in your business regularly rather than make a mountain out of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, okay, so um, I don't know if I got to the... Yeah, so the, the last bit I was going to summarise on, which is, which is what you said about what it means to, to, your, to your children, that you can mm-hmm. prove that. That's, I actually did summarise on that, that you can, um, you can use that for leverage out of the difficult points. I've said that twice now. Um, okay. So, um, what do you think's the 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 main thing you're going to take home from today? Um, enthusiasm, more of it, and belief, positivity, and that's what I wanted from it. I think um, 
And without even looking at the questions that I had, I think I've asked most of them because I wanted to go over it. And some things my brother wanted me to cover, and we've we've, we've kind of talked about that. And I guess it is small, and I think sometimes I think of it as big. And I do have a lot of ideas and things to happen further down the line. I think I just need to break it down more and make them smaller. Yeah. Definitely. Great. Um, that I'm still trying to master that myself, but the, the big idea always starts with a tiny step. And, and the more you can associate that tiny step with a route to the big idea, the more likely you're just going to speed off along it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it just remains a big idea, it actually eventually just becomes a thing you feel bad about because you've not you've not done it, even though yeah. you you had this great idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that sounds really useful. I also f- got quite overwhelmed um, because a lot of people were wanting me in their clinics or salons, and, and I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> because um, I have an idea of what kind of clinic I would like to sort of uh, I, I envision and there's a physio and you know some other sort of specialities as well so it's kind of all around or even rehab sort of thing so yeah I've, I've got ideas and then when I see things because of the way it's happened so quickly and I've built up a client base quite quickly it's like what do I do I feel a bit ah because you have too many options almost yeah yeah yeah. but that is a that is a hard problem um so the the too too many options we we call it in this business dying from indigestion you've got so many opportunities that you you kind of half pregnant on all of them and you're not getting a baby out of any of them um (laughs) so it's it's um it's it's just that sense of uh, i and we still are guilty of this it's very hard not to that you put a ton of work into trying to create something and you don't get anything out the other end of it Mm -hmm. um because you start the next thing um so one of the you you can you can develop a little algorithm where you're saying um firstly what's the rawest form of what you want to head to which is a clinic um, of your own and what's the most likely just constantly asking yourself what's most likely of the five different opportunities I've got to lead me to one central location where I'm doing treatments all day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that kind of thinking that you can use to distill some of them because it's there's always someone who will want you to have a treatment. Will you come down to Birmingham to do a treatment? You know, I, I see lots of clinicians who seem to be traveling all over the whole country, let alone all over Edinburgh. Um, yeah. <laughs> they and and you think, well, where, where is this leading to? It's leading to a lot of train time mm-hmm. um which sounds glamorous but it's not you know you don't want to be in the train all the time um but so the question is always re- ground yourself in what what you want your life to be like in five years time mm-hmm. um if you can imagine waking up and you two up down around the corner and you've got an, a lovely clinic in a nice part of town and you're seeing all the clients that you want to see if you imagine that enough um one of this is one of the things that i don't know if you've read the secret it doesn't, it doesn't quite resonate with me, but the idea is your brain your brain becomes primed to try and act in accordance to what you are making it imagine. So if you're imagining a clinic in a nice part of town and stuff like that, the, the opportunities which don't vibe with that, you'll, quick, you'll be a little bit quicker to say that's not the right direction, mm-hmm. I need to do the other thing. Um, but otherwise, it's just asking yourself consciously, um, if I want a clinic in this part of town by this time, 
Yeah. What's my real, what's most likely to get me there? Yeah. And you'll find it easier to say no. Okay. But it is hard because there are so many good ideas and you know what they say, the, the enemy is, the enemy of great is good, something like that. Well, that's, I've probably not got the right saying, but basically people give up the amazing thing for something that's pretty good all the time. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's and it's because it's pretty good, and that's actually what I respect so many aesthetic people for doing is that all our jobs in the NHS are pretty good, yeah. and you don't need to take the risk. Um, but there's yeah. something that you want that's even better that's going to be matter more to you at the end of your life, and, and you go for it, and that's a great thing. Um, okay. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much for coming. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You too. Um, hopefully, well, we, we, we'll, we will stay in touch in the forum. And mm-hmm. as always, you can let me know. And I'm really keen to find out um, what this chat does for you. And hopefully, you'll get some more out of it. But likewise, if you feel stuck again, you can always message me. And try. Yeah. Thank you again. Thank you.